Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host on CPI Day. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the CPI report, my perceptions of it. It's the second positive surprise in a row. Uh, this wasn't as big a surprise as last month, but it was still a surprise. And However, it's probably going to be the best number we see in a while, and we should keep that in mind. But before I get into that, a word from our sponsor, and then the trivia question. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs, a fast-growing ETF shop democratizing access to the most sophisticated alternative strategies. With diversifying strategies like market-neutral equity long-short, managed futures, and multi-strat quant, Simplify has a suite of compelling tools to help address the biggest concerns with the classic 60-40 portfolio. Check out their website at simplify.us, that's simplify.us, and you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. And now the trivia question. This will be easy for some of you. Uh, what is the name of the sequence of numbers that is formed by summing the two prior numbers in each for each number in the sequence, which originally appeared as the answer to a puzzle about the reproductive habits of rabbits. You get a bonus for those of you who think that's easy. You get, if you can tell me the first two names of the guy who turned the sequence into an analytical method, he's usually referred to by his initials in his last name. So give me the name of the sequence of numbers, and then the first two names of the fellow who popularized it as an analytical method. Okay, so on to the, the data for today. So we knew going in that this was going to be a pretty good number. Um, you know, the consensus going in was for sort of a softish 0.2. Goldman was around 0.16 um, on core. Calshi was similar um, to that. Calshi had been really low, like 0.11, but then finally started to come up in the last week or so. And um, uh, I was uh, kind of around with the consensus, actually, uh, in the low 0.2s, um, but felt like there was a decent chance we were going to get an outlier to the downside. So the 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 reason we knew it was going to be soft was that used cars, again, has had a, had a pretty soft month. You know, used cars back in the when the pandemic started and you you know, we kind of shut down new car production for all intents and purposes because you couldn't get stuff. Used car prices went bananas, um, way more than the growth in, in money. And so you sort of knew that eventually used cars used car prices have to come back down. Now for most things, um, what we're looking at is the inflation rate coming down. But for stuff that really spiked, there's at least a component of this which actually does involve prices coming back down. And incidentally, that's kind of what people think is going to be happening with rents. Um, it's not, but that's the reason that people think that rents are going to be declining because rents went up so fast. And there's lots of reasons that's not the case in rents. But for a lot of goods, uh, in particular core goods, but things like, you know, used cars, that is true, that we had that spike. And so we, we have to come back to something approximating, you know, the overall growth in money um, as sort of telling us what the, the new price level should be. And, and, and used cars are, are pretty much back there. You know, there's not 
there's not a whole lot of reason to think we're going to get this persistent, you know, one or two percent a month drag in the prices of used cars. They're, you know, they're um, they've regularized, I guess, relative to new cars a lot more, and so you know, we shouldn't expect this continuous disinflation there now. But we knew that. The, the latest Black Book survey in Mannheim had all told us that it was a weak month. And moreover, the reason I thought there might be some downside risk is that the last few used car numbers had been higher than we expected because those surveys had, had suggested there'd be a drip and then there wasn't. And so I thought there might be some, some makeup. Um, it turns out that the year-on-year numbers are about right. So so it's probably just sort of a seasonal adjustment issue. And so there's no makeup coming. But but that was sort of the reason. We all penciled in something like, you know, a 2.5% decline or 2.8% decline in used cars. I'm told Calshi actually also has a market in used car inflation. So uh, it was around 2.5 or 2.7, something like that. Um, and so... And so that was kind of the main drag on core. That was what we expected going in. Um, a lot of folks also think that rents, which we know are decelerating, you know, owner's equivalent rents, primary rents, we know those are decelerating. But there have been a couple of uh, papers out recently, and actually I talked about some of them uh, a couple of podcasts ago um, in Inflation Folk Remedies. Um, and I'll put that in the notes, but, um, but that podcast, I talked about some of those, what's wrong with sort of some of those forecasts and, and, uh, there, there'd been a, a new one out from the San Francisco fed that said over the next year, we should have rents, you know, in outright deflation. Um, even though they had such enormous error bars, it was sort of hard to take seriously. Um, and there's some systematic things that are wrong, uh, I actually just got finished. I'm, I'm busy writing our quarterly inflation outlook, and and um, which is available by subscription, and um, and sort of built a new model for for rent inflation that is done a little bit differently than than the way a lot of these forecasts are done. You know, historically, what people have done is is take property prices, you know, home prices, and then lag them, um, and that becomes your rent forecast. Or they've they take uh, nowadays they take sort of contemporaneous rent numbers like you know the Zillow rents thing or whatever you know and then and then lag those and that becomes your forecast and then there are these new newfangled uh, NTRR and ATRR and all these 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 new studies that you know use sort of the micro data from from the BLS and and also reach sort of this same sort of conclusion. What we did is we actually said, well, let's look, you know, you don't hear people talk about landlord costs very much. And and if landlord costs are going up, then you're just not going to have rents go down. Um, unless there was like an enormous glut of apartments and they're just, they're just aren't, there's a big shortage of housing. So, so if, so let's look at what the cost structure for landlords is doing. And that's, that's kind of how we developed our index. And, and that index suggests that suggested that we should we should be slowing a little bit in rents um, and then over the next year rent inflation should go um, from the current level in the seven or eight percent um, or maybe you know five percent kind of concurrently 
down to maybe three. Um, but not much lower than that because costs for landlords are, you know, uh, are just not they're, – they're still going up. The main reason they've gone down at all or a large part of the reason has to do with energy costs. And energy costs are now going back up as well. So, um, But a lot of what um, – well, anyway, that's a, probably a whole other podcast to talk again about about sort of a projection for rent. But but that, that was something that some people had penciled in as being soft as well. Anyway, so we knew it was going to be a, big, a, a good number, um, but – the issue is that beyond this number, it kind of, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not looking so good. We're starting to see energy prices go back up and, and some of these, these core effects are, are about played out. Um, so when we actually got the print, we got 0.17% on headline and 3.2 annualized year on year and 0.16 on core and a 4.7% year on year annualized for core. And so those were a little softer, maybe a nickel than uh, than most people were looking at. Actually, right about where Kalshi had it, um, right about where Goldman had it. Give props to them, I guess. Um, but uh, but used cars was actually not quite as much of a drag as we thought. Instead of you know, like I said, we penciled in minus two and a half percent. We got minus one point three or something. So roughly half the effect. Um, but what we did get was a repeat of last month's plunge in airfares. Now, I mentioned this last last month. I said, well, it's unlikely to be repeated. Well, darn it, it was repeated. We had this we had consecutive 8% declines month on month in airfares. Now, by the way, that's unprecedented. The only time that something like that ever happened was in the early days of the pandemic shutdown when nobody was flying and airfares plunged. So we got a similar sort of plunge in airfares, according to the BLS. Well, that is somewhat dubious, um, and I don't really know where it's coming from, uh, especially because jet fuel prices rose. And usually if you have airfares declining, it's, it, a lot of that comes from the fact that jet fuel goes up and down. In this case, jet fuel went up and airfares, according to the BLS, went down a whole bunch. Um, I'm, I'm sort of skeptical about that. But, I'm, but what, what I do know is that the odds of a third minus 8% next month are very, very small. Um, yeah, I said that last month. But uh, the odds that we're going to get another minus 8 is pretty small. And in fact, we'll probably get a give back. Um, we got the usual drag from health insurance. Um, that's going to, you know, that's, you know, four basis points a month. Um, and that's going to reverse coming with the October CPI in November. That persistent negative drag uh, that affects also, by the way, the super core that the Fed looks at, um, that it, 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 you know, airfare, I mean, um, health insurance is in super core. That's going to reverse when we in November when we get the October numbers. So, um, so but that was that was sort of consistent and and that was in. Um, what was what was interesting or or positive was that this was this was a very broad, a broadly good number. So we did have some kind of dumb outliers that aren't going to be repeated. But on the other hand, 
there were a whole bunch of categories that just didn't inflate very much. Um, and so, in fact, the median inflation came in at 0.19% month on month, which is the lowest in a long, long time. Again, a little bit quirky because it, it turns out that it was a teensy, teensy bit from, from actually printing 0.29%. Uh, the way median works is is the you put all of the categories in a stack from the, the lowest inflation rate to the highest inflation rate, and you add up the weights until you get to 50%, and then you take that category, and that's your median. Well, if one category had had been slightly higher, then then we would have then then the next category up. So we we uh, I think it was food away from home or or uh, or other food at home was sort of the median category. But the next higher category was was actually a fair amount higher, and so we would have been 0.29 percent instead of 0.19 percent, and that makes more sense. 0.29 percent is still a good number from from median. Um, but it's it, it's not as good as the the point nine one nine percent is is not likely to be again it, not likely to be repeated uh, at least not not right away. So, um, but but it's but it is emblematic of the fact that it was a fairly broad a broadly good uh, number. There were there were few outliers on the high side, and and you know we had a couple outliers on the on the, on the low side, but not. You know, um, but not a ton. Most of this was that it was sort of a broad, um, low number. Um, the the rents owners equivalent rent was 0.49 percent month on month, and primary rents 0.42 percent. So that was roughly where where I had it. Um, uh, core goods, thanks to the decline in used cars, mainly dropped to 0.8 percent year on year. Now. If rents go back to where, where I have them going, 3% over the next year, that's kind of what they had been for a long time. Um, and the reason that we still had core growth, even with a big category like shelter rising at 3% or 4%, the reason that we still had core around you know, 2 was because we had this deflation in core goods. And so if we want to get back, if we're going to get back there, and if I'm right about where shelter is going to go back to, then in order to get back to 2%, you need to have core goods go negative. Um, and I just, I think that's fairly unlikely. So far, the reason, one of the reasons we have such a, such dampening on core goods, obviously part of it is that, you know, you, we did reopen the ports and stuff. And so, so some of the real short-term things um, have come back. Um, but also the dollar has been persistently strong for a while. And, um, and that would sort of have to continue. But I think that the trend towards re-onshoring or friend-shoring and moving away from necessarily the lowest-cost producers, um, lowest-cost manufacturers overseas, I think that trend is, is likely to keep core goods inflation from going back to where it had been for a long time, minus 1% or minus 2%. And so, you know, it, it dripped to 0.8% year on year. I, I, I continue to think that we're sort of at the end of that rope. And so if we're going to get further improvement, we're going to get it from the rents. Um, we actually had core, the super core actually went up slightly this month. But, you know, you'll, you'll probably get some moderation in that, um, at least until health, health insurance reverses. So all these trends are kind of going in in 
in the right direction. And as I said, median was was terrific, even if it was a little bit a little bit strange. Um, but and and so because this is a good number, I guess the 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 other good news is that there's nothing in here that should suggest the Fed ought to go tighten again. Um, there's still some hawks on the Fed uh, who are saying we should, you know, hike further. But there's really no reason to do that. I mean, there wasn't any reason to do the last one. I think the last one they did was, you know, throwing the hawks a bone. Uh, 25 basis points when you've already tightened 500 or 550 or whatever. It just isn't, just doesn't move the needle. And they're not going to tighten another 100 basis points, especially with inflation declining. So, so the Fed, but by the same token, we're not going to see the Fed suddenly ease a whole bunch either. So I think we're getting kind of close to, you know, knowing where the short end of the curve is going to be pegged for a while. And the real question is what happens to the long end of the curve. So that's the next part of it. Okay. And this is one of the reasons that we shouldn't get too excited by today's good news. It's great that we're getting this breadth. But here's the big picture. The big picture is that we have money stock contracting, also good news. But money velocity is recovering. The last three quarters were the fastest rise in money velocity ever. And, and I've been talking about this for a long time. That's, that's, a lot of that is a rebound, but we also have higher interest rates, so we should expect money velocity to be going up. Um, core goods are going down and the, because the dollar is strong. And so all those things, except for the money velocity, but that's the, that general picture is is okay. Um, but but we, you know we do have to see where velocity ends up going. We do have to see whether or not money supply continues to to contract, which I'm a little bit skeptical that that's going to continue just you know for another year. Um, but we also have government deficits rising again and rising quite sharply. Um, and. And that's partly because interest rate costs are skyrocketing. Now, everyone knew this would happen. When interest rates went up, it doesn't in immediately affect the interest rate or the interest costs for, in the budget for, the, Fed, for the, uh, the federal government. But it eventually does because eventually, you know, as, as securities mature and the Treasury has to go raise new money, it's going to be at higher interest rates. And it turns out that that, that number is rising really fast you know, in the tens of billions every month kind of thing. So, um, and uh, and that, so if, if, we, if we're running this really large deficit, the question is who buys all those bonds? And the traditional answer has been, well, we run this big uh, trade uh, deficit as well. And so, um we send dollars overseas, and people use those dollars that we send overseas to go buy U.S. bonds. The problem is the trade deficit shrinking. Um, it's not necessarily a problem. And if we are re-onshoring and stuff like that, the trade deficit is not likely to continue to be what it was in the past. So who buys the bonds? And, and the answer is, has, is mostly domestic buyers. But domestic buyers at some point, especially if we're contracting the money supply, at some point, they either got to go sell stocks to go buy bonds, um, or one way or another, you're going, to, you're going to have to incentivize them to save more than they're spending and to, and to actually buy, um, and to buy bonds, and that's going to require higher interest rates. So the a risk that I see going forward is that 
that could potentially get sloppy at some point. Um, you know, longer term, 10-year uh, treasury rates right now are 4%, and uh, you know, the short rate is, is over 5 And at some point, I can see that longer-term rate starting to go higher uh, because it needs to to attract additional buyers of bonds. Uh, If that happens, it potentially puts the Fed in a bind where they either have to see much higher interest rates with bad effects on the economy and with them not being willing, you know, ready to ease yet, they may have to I won't say be the buyer of last resort, but they may have to help out by buying bonds again instead of continuing to sort of let them roll off. And and if that happens, then then kind of all bets are off with these positive trends that we're experiencing. And that will have to play out for multiple years for us to get back to inflation the way we want it, low and stable. Um, it, it, that's a potential fly in the ointment that w- could keep that that long-term story from playing out in a nice smooth way. Um, and if it, you know, and so there, there are obviously a lot of things that can get in the way of this nice, you know, the placid couple of numbers we've had recently. Um, and so we, we basically, basically I, I think we just shouldn't get used to it. <laughs> There's um, we also have rising energy prices again. So, you know, the early look for next month, and I don't usually forecast a whole month ahead. Um, the inflation swap market is pricing in for headline inflation about 0.35% on non-seasonally adjusted, and the seasonals actually add. So so right now the market is tracking tracking to something like 0.6 or 0.65 uh, month on month for headline inflation when we get it next month. Um, that would be lots worse than we've seen recently. And core, uh, my early forecast for core is about 0.33, so back kind of where we had been. So, you know, if we're if that's what we get, we get core inflation at a you know four percent run rate, which by the way is uh, I keep saying that's I, I that's where I expect us to sort of settle in here um, is high threes, low fours on on median. Um, so. 0.33 is sort of the run rate that I would expect on core, and then now we have energy prices going higher again. So, um, so I think this is the last time we're going to have news this good for a while. So enjoy it while you can. Uh, the stock market loves it. Um, bonds are actually down on the day while I'm while I'm saying this, which is a little bit again tells you that there's more pressure than than we'd like there. So. Um, but uh, in the meantime, uh, in, enjoy enjoy this while we can. Uh, okay, so the the trivia question back to the top here. So the question was, what's the name of the sequence of numbers that originally appear as the answer to a puzzle about the reproductive habits of rabbits? And the sequence is zero, one, one, two, three, five, eight, and each number in the sequence is formed by summing the two prior prior numbers. And that, of course, is the Fibonacci sequence. Um, and it was popularized by R.N. Elliott. Uh, R.N. stands for Ralph Nelson. So that was the other part. That was part B of the trivia question is what's the first two names of R.N. Elliott, and that's Ralph Nelson Elliott. The Fibonacci sequence is really interesting for a whole bunch of 
of reasons. Um, you can find all kinds of weird places in nature. And, and that sequence of numbers, the ratio of consecutive numbers hones in on 0.618. So the longer you do that sequence, the, the, the sequence of consecutive numbers will get closer to 0.618, um, the, the, the former number divided by the second number. So um, uh, anyway, that very so, and that that turns out to be very uh, in in uh, Elliott wave theory, and and um, uh, you know, which is the method that R. N. Elliott made famous. That point six one eight point three eight two, which is the you know one minus point six one eight. Those those two ratios <clears throat> and many others sort of built from the Fibonacci sequence turn out to be super important numbers. Anyway, that's a uh, uh, interesting stuff. If you ever want to go look up Fibonacci, so. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in today. Uh, I I hope you do like the monthlies. Um, you can also get my summary uh, on on the uh, the blog itself at inflationguy.blog. Um, I take kind of what I tweet out during the the day um, on sort of the private channel, and then I summarize it and I, I put it out. Um, and that that might be useful to you. Uh, But if you like listening to me, then obviously I I keep doing this thing as well. So please like it if you like it. Um, Subscribe if you like it and refer others if you like it. You can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com and you can subscribe for free to that blog at inflationguy.blog. On Twitter, I'm at inflation underscore guy. And um, hey, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy.